Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Lord's Day in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. He who sees the hearts and looks into the minds of men has called us today before him in a holy convocation. He is king and he is the ultimate judge of all things and he has perfect judgment. Amen? Amen? This is both good and bad news for us today but only good news, honestly, to those who trust in the righteousness of Christ. As Abraham told his good son, Isaac, when he inquired, asking what they would offer to God on Mount Moriah, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Scriptures teach us that man has trouble keeping his promises. He has trouble keeping his oaths, but... God teaches us that he doesn't have trouble doing that. And so what God does is God has made a covenant with us and he will make sure that the covenant is kept. That's the only way it's going to work out good for any of us. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 40 as God calls us to worship. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of an horrible pit out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon the rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee, and I will declare and speak of them. They are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears thou hast opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, and thou knowest it. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart, and I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. 
Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold on me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. And let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward for their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Let's say, as God's word says to say, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me that thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God, but come to us. Let us pray. Lord God, as you have called us unto you, we have come. Here we are before you, Lord, and we know that the very special presence of your spirit abides with us here and in our midst, Lord, you are here to hear our requests and to do a work in us. We pray that as we come before you with unclean hands, that you would cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, that you would take a coal from upon the altar and touch our lips and may our lips be clean before you. May we offer up praises to you today from willing hearts. May our hearts be as near to you as the words from our mouth are today. And Lord, as we come before you, we long to hear your voice. Speak to us and cleanse our ears, O God, which have heard and and seen many ungodly and evil things, even probably in this week that we have lived. But, O Lord, today we long to hear your lovely voice. Clean us, O God. Help us to be more like you. Make us fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. get up. It's all right. You don't have, you don't have to all rise. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The Supreme court of heaven is now in session. All who have cause to plead, draw near, give attention. God save us all and his honorable church. Amen. Hear ye, hear ye, court is now in session. I I took these words from a transcript from the Supreme Court of Florida. We know what to do when we hear these words, right? Have you guys ever been to court? And uh, you're in the courtroom, you're just chatting, it's all casual until the door opens up and the bailiff comes out and he says, All rise! Everybody, okay. And, And if you know anything about judges and you know anything about the court... You better rise. Exactly what you're told. Judge is a very, very powerful man. If you don't know this, be careful next time you go to court and heed my warning. The judge is a powerful man. Your life is in his hands when you are in his courtroom. And so it is very, very critical that you behave yourself. Now, many people imagine that there will only be one judgment day that is coming at the end of the world. That great auspicious day is coming. 
sure enough, when God will set all things right, anything will be revealed that is hidden. Everything that was done in secret shall be what? Proclaimed out loud. Every hill will be leveled out. Every valley will be filled in. And everything that's crooked will be what? Will be made straight. That day's coming. But you would be very mistaken if you thought that there was only one judgment day. As sure as God will judge the world, He will judge the wicked for their evil deeds. He is judging His people right now, every day. Judgment day is every day for the believer. Court is being held every day. Now, unlike an ordinary judge, God is a loving Father. And He judges us constantly, correcting us, guiding us, leading us, and lifting us up. This has been God's way with His people since the fall of man. How many of you ever have ever you know, been stuck in the waiting room of a doctor's office or whatever, and you get to watch the whole judge thing? They do these judge TV shows. Anybody ever seen that? You know? You don't admit it if you sit at home and watch them all day, but just, you know, I saw it in a doctor's office. That's, that's the best thing to say. <laughs> Especially if it's a soap opera, but we're not there. But, you know, the best ones are when the judges are uh, not just banging their gavel and meeting out harsh sentences. The best ones are when the judge starts asking questions. You, you guys ever see this? I don't know the name of this guy, but I've seen him a few times. And he will go, now, now tell me a little bit more about yourself, you know. And the next thing you know, someone who's in a whole lot of trouble, he works out a little deal with them. And he says, okay, all right, I know you, I can see that you can't pay this fine. I can see that you're, you've dug yourself into a hole. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime here. And he gives them something to do. Have you guys ever seen it when they don't do it and they're back again the second time? Have you ever seen this? I've seen this before. Oh, it's good. Because now it's, now it's like, he's like, you know what? When you were in here before, don't you remember it? And they'll play the tape, you know. They were in there before and he let them off. But they didn't pay their thing, you know. Instead of paying 5000 they were told to pay 500 But they didn't pay it. They didn't come. They didn't do what they were supposed to. They did not make things right. They didn't do it. And it's, it's bad. I think I actually saw what I'm talking about on YouTube. I didn't really mention, mean to even mention it today. But, but... What happens and why I like that is because God is not just uh, looking at it and going, all right, you know, Andy Kuzel did this, done. That's not what he does. Amen? He is the judge of the earth, but he doesn't judge us like that. He judges us and he helps us and he guides us and he corrects us. God who who has chosen a people for his name right now, not just from among one family of the world, the children of Israel, but from every kindred, every tribe, every people, every nation, He has become a Father to us. His chastening and His leading us in a way is evidence of our position with Him, which is fixed and cannot change. There is no clearer picture, though, of this than God's Word to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is our situation. You know, some people, they, they think everything in the Bible is about heaven and hell, and it's just not. In fact, most of it's not. Most of it is about what God is doing to you right now. You know, people talk about 
You say, you know, in James chapter 5, when you get a sinner to repent, you saved a soul from death. What sinner are they talking about? They're talking about someone in the church who isn't doing something right. And I really don't think that in the context of what we read that's happening here is that God is permanently putting people in hell for their mistakes. How many of you have made a mistake? Raise your hand if you have. How many of you sinned? How many of you have God washed completely from your sins and God's been so kind to you and still you keep sinning? Come on, right? And so if it is so that this is going to change your status with God permanently and you're going to burn in hell, there shouldn't be a smile on any face in the room. Because we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to throw a fit and, and do something wrong or say a string of curse words or whatever might happen. I hope never happens. But then you pull out of your driveway and you're run over by a car. If you look at your relationship with God as a legal transaction like that, I, I grew up thinking this. And it was like, listen, if you sin, you better stop what you're doing immediately as fast as you can. And you better say that repentance prayer really, really, really quick. That way, if the trumpet blows, you don't go to hell. And you might go, well, Mark, you're being a little silly. No, that's how I was raised. That's how I believed. I lived in terror. Okay? If you think that you can live like that and you're going to make it to heaven, I can tell you right now, uh, I hope, I'm just glad, and I, I'm glad to be too stupid to believe if that's true, that's, that's the way it is. Because I couldn't live. I would be worried and frightful. You know what? As you get older, you get to know yourself better and you know how sinful you are. You see, when you're young, you're too stupid to know it. You're too stupid to know how selfish you are and how you put others first and how your mind wanders and how you covet it. But as you get older, you get, you get to realizing that you're not getting better. Our, 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 our sinfulness does not improve. We just become actually more aware of it. And what it should do in the heart and the life of a man of God or a woman is make them very humble and make them very forgiving and make them very kind. It should not make you go, how dare you? Why? Because you go, well, that, that was me. You know? I mean, me, when, when my kids break something around my house, I can't really get worked up about it. I broke everything of my mom and dad's and my aunt and uncle who live next door. My aunt Faye gave me a nickname, and the nickname was, it was an accident. I could go into the things that I did, but they were horrible. I, we had an egg fight inside of my aunt's house. You should just go to relationship hell after that. Like, like you just can't do that. I broke all of the canned goods in jars in her basement and didn't tell her. She found out, though, several days later in the, on an August day, you know, when the smell began to overpower her house. What happened? It was an accident, Aunt Faye. I'm glad today to know that the judge of heaven is not looking upon me, as we said from Psalm 103, written on my brother's arm back here, that God has not. Everybody say, he has not. He has not come with us according to our sins. You know, the knowledge of that should make us look at those that sin against us and be what? Should be forgiving. But we're not. You know what we like to do? We like to put on our judge's robe. And we like to judge. The Bible says, don't do that. I know I'm way off script here, but I'm preaching to you and to your hearts to understand there is a judge, folks. And it's not you. 
Okay? All right, I got to get back into this. De- Deuteronomy chapter 30. When I read this, this is not only the way it is now, it's the way that it always has been with God. Sometimes we get the idea that God was different in the Old Testament than he is the new. What does the Bible say about that? I am the Lord and I I change not. God didn't get saved when the New Testament began and start acting like a nice person. I know we laugh, but we sort of think about that. We, we have this schizophrenic idea about God that he was really mean and nasty in the Old Testament, but now he's really, really nice. Folks, I'm telling you, we are the ones that didn't understand the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. It's the same one, but we didn't know it. We made the God a mean God because that's what the law does. It makes us mean. And when you hold the law over your wife, over your children, over the people in your lives, and you hold court on them. Oh, I'm telling you right now. The Bible says, judge not that you be not. Judge not that you be not. Judge. For with the measure that you judge others, so shall you also be what? How many of you want to be judged with the way that you judge other people? No way, no way. Well, there's a cure for that. Quit doing it. God explains in Deuteronomy 30 the business of his relationship with them. You can read it if you want to take the time later as a family. Read this. Read this over and over again. God had just explained to them in Deuteronomy chapter 29 that they are going to misbehave. They're going to sin against them and they're going to do wrong, but God is not going to let it go. You see, God lets the heathen go for a while. He lets the wicked go for a while, but their reward is hell, eternal damnation. Their judgment is coming. But he reminded the people of God that their judgment wasn't going to wait. This is why God does things to people and you go, why did he do that to them? He did it to them because he loved them and they belonged to him. And he judged them. God, what does this say judgment begins? Judgment begins at the house of God. But we don't believe this. So here's what he said in Deuteronomy 30. You can read this today. If you want to help your children understand how it works with God, it works like this. It's not all about heaven and hell, but it is about what's going on now. And if you think that God's going to let you get away of living in sin in your life right now and you belong to him, then you just don't believe he's there. Because he will not. Deuteronomy 30, it shall come to pass when these things come upon me. He had just listed a whole bunch of bad things that were going to happen to them if they did bad. The blessings are going to come if they do good, and the curse is going to do good, or the curse is going to come on them if they do bad. These things that I've said before, you you shall call them to mind among all the nations, whether the Lord thy God's driven. Not only are you going to learn, but the heathens are going to watch how I punish you and how I deal with you. They're going to learn from that as well as you. Okay? Verse 2. And you will return to the Lord your God. If you read the book of Judges, the entire book is that. Right? God told them not to do this, but they did. And when they did, God sent them someone to enslave them, to burn their cities, and he ruled over them for 20 years. But then the people did what? They repented. They turned to the Lord. They cried out, and they said, God delivers. And what does God do? He sends a deliverer. 
The book of Judges is like a broken record because they live really good for a little while and then what happens? They start all over again. They're in happiness and they're in peace and they're enjoying life. And they're like, man, you know what will be better than all that we have? More! What would be better than living in peace and freedom and happiness with God is just doing anything I want. That'd be even better. Absolute freedom to do whatever I want. You see, that's not freedom. That is signing up for chains. Verse 2, but you will return to the Lord your God. You'll obey his voice according to all that I commanded thee this day. Thou and thy children with all of your heart and with all of thy soul. Then the Lord will, then that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion on thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. He's explaining, I'm going to scatter you. Your cities are going to be burned. You're going to be taken captive. You know, when they got, when, when Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, when they got sent to Babylon, it was because the people had turned from God. It wasn't that the Babylonians were so tough God couldn't stop them. The Bible says God raised up the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Malachites, the Hittites, for the purpose of chastising God's wayward people. And I go, oh, what are they doing to us out in the world? I, I can't believe it. Oh, Lord, stop them. And God says, I I sent them here. You can read about it. You cannot read the prophets and not hear this over and over and over and over again. But it's really quite a beautiful thing. He's telling you, yeah, you're going to live in sin for a while, but not forever. Because I'm going to help you with that. How many of you do this with your children? Like you're going to be, you might be a liar right now, little Johnny. But daddy's going to help you. That is going to help you understand that being a liar makes people not trust you, makes people not know what in the world you're going to say next, and, and they can't depend on you, and they can't use you, and they won't be close to you. Why? Because you're a liar, Johnny. And so, Johnny, I'm not going to let you grow up to be a liar. You've got to tell the truth. How many, does anybody ever do this with your children? You ever help? That's what God does. God goes, you cannot build my temple and then put false gods in there. You can't worship the gods of the Amorites and me. You can't do that. And if you do, I'm going to do something about it. And it's going to be horrible. But just so you know, it's not for no reason. It's going to be horrible because what I'm going to do to you is going to bring you back. That's what he says. Verse 4, if any be driven out. From the uttermost parts of heaven, from thence the Lord will gather thee, and from thence he will fetch thee. How many are excited to know God will come and get you? God will bring you back. God will restore you. Now, he may do it in a way you don't like. If you ever had to catch a, you ever had to catch a cow or a pig that don't want to come back in, is it always pleasant for them? Oh, we got, we got a hand on the back row. Good old Lucums. Somebody told me he always carried a little two before around and he just whacked the cow right in the middle of the forehead. You know, not a very pleasant way, but he gets him back. Okay. But in other words, God is saying, I've got you. I've scattered you and I will gather you back. I'm the God who calls people and the God who keeps people. And the Lord thy God, verse 5, Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed and you shall possess it. It's like, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes, it'll be filled with a bunch of dunderheads. It'll be filled with a bunch of insane people who've got serious problems, who sin, who, who can't even, you know, handle a headache or whatever. You know, I'm going to save the world from these people. They're going to possess the land. 
And you're going to do good, and you're going to multiply, and you're going to be even better off than your fathers were. I mean, Steve, can you imagine God having this talk with you? Hey, Steve, you're messed up right now. It seems like your life's coming to an end. You've fallen in sin. But I'm going to wreck your world so bad, you're going to run back to me and serve me. In fact, you're going to be better off than you were before. I mean, I love it. And the Lord God will circumcise your heart in the heart of your seed to love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you might live. God doesn't want you to die. God doesn't want you to be a a, a miserable story. He doesn't want that. The Lord thy God will put all of these curses on your enemies, on them that hate me and hate you and persecute you. Those bad things that were on you, I'm going to take them off you and put them on them. How, how can he do that? Because he put them on them. That's why. Deuteronomy 29 said, if you do this, I'm cursing you. If you do this, I'm blessing you. Verse 8, thou shalt return obey the voice of the Lord and do all of his commandments which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thy hand and the fruit of thy body and the fruit of the cattle and the fruit of the land for the good. For the Lord again will rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. I have to skip down because I have a lot of, of, of stuff to cover. But I think you understand it here. Verse 15 sums it up. Do you see? I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. Choose life. Do we choose? Absolutely. Every single day. And God judges what we choose every single day. Verse 16. I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, that thou might live and multiply Verse, verse 17, but if your heart turns away so that thou will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land. I call heaven and earth the record against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that thou and thy seed may live. This is a very plain explanation of God's relationship with mankind. Psalm 50 is one of those days of judgment in the daily courtroom that God holds with us. Laying out how he judges those who will not obey his commands to bring their tithes and their offerings to the house of the Lord and keep back what God had commanded them. Hear ye, hear ye. Court is in session. Psalm 50 verse 1. A psalm of Asaph. Psalm 50 is the first of 12 psalms written by a man or uh, by a family. Uh, It could have been descendants of the same family of the sons of Asaph, but it says only Asaph in this this one. Verse uh, Psalm 50 is all by itself, but then all of the rest of the psalms of Asaph are Psalm 73 through 83. They're all together in one place. He, he was a Levite who was appointed by David and served during his time and beyond. And his descendants were singers and musicians in the temple of God. Asaph actually even performed a song on the day of the dedication of Solomon's temple. He and his family were like the sons of Korah. They were dedicated to praising God. You know, that's, that's a worthy thing to dedicate yourself to, is to praising God. The psalm has all the kingly pomp and circumstance, no doubt, accompanied by the announcing a ram's horn, the trumpet of God, like we talked about. Ah, ah. 
in our courtroom, we might go, all rise, but in the courtroom of heaven, that's not what happens. They say, earth, the king cometh. We get this here. There is a crescendo, maybe even of the, the deep drums or maybe the of the cymbal. As the scriptures say, the mighty God, even the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun and the going thereof. Can you hear this announcement? This is what is coming. Earth! The God who is God from the east to the west, from the rising of the sun and the going down to the same. He's calling heaven and earth to record today. Courts in session. God has called his people and gathered together to hear him standing on the proverbial royal balcony, not merely from a bench of a courtroom, but from the throne of his holiness. I can almost hear the trumpets again. As the announcement continues, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty hath shined. Can you see it? Can you see the, the people gathered together and the king with his long uh, train behind him as he's walking, as he's being announced to God of heaven, a perfection and holiness. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Ah, God is coming. Where is he coming? He's coming to the throne of judgment. Zion, God's holy mountain where Solomon's temple so stately stood as no other building on earth. Inside sat the Ark of the Covenant out of which lightnings proceeded and priests carried into battle, over which the blood of Israel's many days of atonement was poured, the king is coming out of Zion. He is the sun itself of the new heavens and the new earth, who when he comes to the new Jerusalem will forever eclipse the sun and moon, who now rule by day and night. But when he shows up, he will rule even over the light itself. The introduction of God to His throne of judgment continues as He be given time to come down the heavenly staircase, condescend to mankind. Picture Him coming to His seat as all eyes transfix upon Him. Verse 3, Our God shall come, and He shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous around Him. This is not a picture that most people would put upon the walls or in the stained glass of God coming and the fires of judgment around Him and the tornadoes and the tempests around Him that rip homes out of the ground that send everyone dashing into pieces. This is the God that's coming to judge the people. It is very tempestuous around Him and He will not keep silent. And somehow, when I hear verse 3, I don't hear God going, Hello. The Bible says that when He speaks in the book of Revelation, is the sound of many waters if you've ever been to Niagara, if you've ever been to where the water comes out of the earth in Israel where, where me and the boys went, the sound thunders so much, the sound of the rumble, the deepness of it all, the sound of many waters. Here comes the God of heaven and earth, the consuming fire. Hebrews 12 tells us, as Brother Andy read it, he said, don't you understand that our God is a consuming fire? It wasn't that He used to be a consuming fire. He still is. It's that His fire is being directed a different direction. Here comes the God of heaven, the consuming fire of Hebrews 12, 29, who speaks from the whirlwind of destruction that he marshals at his will. He is going to speak and we will hear. If you think being scared of an appellate court judge is something, or being standing in the awe of one of the Supreme Courts of the United States is something in the court of heaven, 
There should be way more reverence for that. Verse 4, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. And in verse 4, the important word here is his people. He's calling those that he has a special relationship to judge. If you understand that God did not uh, look down upon the Philistines and, and say, what is wrong? Why are they worshiping this God? He looked to the children of Israel and said, why are you worshiping this God? I'm the God that opened the Red Sea. I'm the God that delivered you from Pharaoh. I'm the God that sent the plagues on Egypt. And I smote the firstborn. You know that I'm God. I'm the God that fed you uh, manna from heaven and sent uh, water out of a rock and, and quenched your thirst. You know that I'm God. That They don't know it. And so God deals with his people in a way that he doesn't deal with the world. And so here he's saying he's calling his people to judgment. He speaks with all authority of heaven and earth. All those know well that Israel is his elect people that he hath chosen from the earth and he will judge them this day. You know, that's what we are. We are God's elect people. The judge is now seated and he begins to speak here. He defines his audience and invokes the legal basis from which he will judge them. His judgments are not arbitrary, made up on the fly. He does not just get in a mood. God has written down. He said, I, he told them, if you do this, I will do that. And if you do this, don't you wish as a parent you could live up to that? If you read Michael Pearl's book, it's only a book written for God. It's not written for people. But it's, if, you are, if you can do this 100% of the time without fail, your children will obey you and they'll do it right. Well, he should have put in parentheses. But I wrote the book anyway, even though what I just told you is completely impossible. All you have to do is get more than two kids and you'll find out. Driving down the road in your car. You better straighten up in the back of you people. How many of you have run off the road? You know, if I could stop the car right now, I would, you know. And, and you have no idea who's doing it. If you say one more word, you know. Maybe none of this has happened in your house. Maybe, maybe all of you, you know, uh, you, you, you say, you know, uh, Heath, you tell your children that they're going to do this. And if they don't do this, you're going to follow up. If you're like me, you don't even remember what you say about at least 50% of the time. You know, at some, at, at some greater days in our life, our children go, you know, Dad, you told me you were going to spank me. Could you go ahead and do that? Like, like, I used to think that was great, you know. I'm like, I don't have time to spank you. Just shut up and get a, go to your room. We're so weak and beggarly and we forget. But God does not forget. When God says, do this and I will do this, He does it. When God says, if you don't do this, then I will do this, then God remembers. He keeps track. He counts. He watches. But we only do the best that we can do, which, well, isn't very good. Gather the saints unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Verse 5. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying he's going to judge his people, his covenant people. You see, he's made the law clear. He's told him exactly what he will do, and he's about to cast judgment based not on a whim or an emotion or an idea but on the law itself verse 6 the heavens shall declare the righteous his righteousness for God is the judge himself this is a place we can camp out on I know I already camped out on it a minute ago but it's because I just couldn't wait to get to this part there is but one judge over heaven and earth and what he decrees will be, will be. 
This is Jesus reminded us not to judge, letting us know that those that engage in this kind of behavior will themselves receive the harsh judgments they mete out to others upon their own heads. So I have a couple questions to ask you right now. Do you judge the hearts of other people? All day long. In fact, you know, most of the conflicts that we have that are so hard to resolve are not based on anything anybody's done, but on why you think they did it. If you're over three years old, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, you might be in the middle of it right now. I can't believe he did that. Well, why can't you believe it? Well, because I know he did this because of this and because of that. And this is what he thought. And this is why he did it. And you have already built a case against him. You are the judge. You are the witness. Guilty. Folks, I'm telling you, it's what we do. Right? It is exactly what we do. You know, there's not a married couple in this room. There's not a child in this room who's like, I can't believe that my mom and dad think I would think like that or whatever, right? It's most of the conflict we have comes because we judge what others think and feel, and we don't know. Oh, well, you know, I've been around a long time, and I know, and I know. No, you don't. Can you see inside the hearts and the minds of people to know why they do what they do? Who they are at their very depths. In fact, some of the times the greatest pain that people have is when people are angry at them because they know why they did it. And they go, I can't believe they would think I was that kind of person. Because now you're, now you're mad at them for thinking you would be like that and thinking you would think thoughts like that. Folks, it gets crazy like that. That's life. That's every fight you've ever had with your wife. I know what I'm talking about. We're expert fighters at the Robinette household. God has given me every type of fighting that's ever happened. This is just so I can be thoroughly versed to help all of you. Not because I'm bad or that my wife is meaner than a striped snake. It's, it's not that. Just for you. Someone does or does not do, do something. for some, We think we know why. But we cannot know, but still we deal harshly with them because we think we know. Folks, this kind of judgment will kill relationships. It will kill you. And if you are judged by this standard, you're done. It's a wonder any of us can even talk to each other. Well, the reason he didn't shake my hand today is because he didn't like me. And you're like, he never even thought about you today. He never even saw you. He, he, he remembered that his, you know, he left his... The, pot boiling on the stove and had to leave. Well, I know he doesn't like me. He never has liked me. He always avoids me. Because he doesn't like me. This is what we do. Come on, you know you do it, okay? It happens daily in our homes, regularly in the body of Christ as well. And if we could surrender this sin of judging others, we ourselves would be set free as much as the peace of our lives from the war that our judgment constantly causes. The judgment of love is what we could do. You, you know, you can be a judge, but the Bible says you should do it in a loving way. You're not going to like this kind of judging. The judging that believes. The judging that hopes. The, judges that do, the, the judging that doesn't think evil. I know, that's no fun. I know, I know. You See, you can still judge. 
Do you know when Jesus told them in Matthew 7 to judge not, the word is not judge as in, like, you, you, you drive up and you go, no one's in the line at KFC, everyone is in the line at uh, Cain's. That's, that's judgment. I'm getting in this line. The food must be better, right? That's a judgment, right? That's not bad. That's not what the word in Matthew 7 means. The Matthew 7 means condemn. Condemn not. It's when you come to the final resolution that you know why Steve Foisey did what he did and why he didn't think of me and he only thinks of himself and blah, 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 blah right? Come on, Elaine. Didn't you just say this last week? You could put it on a three by five card, right, honey? Yes, I did this because I'm a selfish pig and I never thought of anyone but myself ever in the whole ever of evers. That's me, right? That's right, you know? I'm telling you, it's how we live. We do this thing with each other where we know what's in the heart. You know, I have found that if you get to know people, when someone, when, when someone is a total stranger, it's easier to do this. You're like, that guy cut me off. He doesn't care about anyone in the whole wide world. That scumbag thinks he owns the road. Someone did this to me one time and they gave me a hand gesture and they were someone I went to church with. And, and about the time they gave me the hand gesture, they saw who I was, and they, and they went. <laughs> Instantly it went from, I can't believe that, to, oh, that's Mark. Oh, okay. You know? And then they were like, whoa, okay, wow, okay. Isn't it true? That's why we insult people on Facebook on a regular basis. And we, we post, and when those people are blah, 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 and they don't know blah, blah, blah. And I can't believe they blah, blah. We don't know anything about these people. What's wrong with people? What's wrong with us is that we want to be the judge, and there is one of those, and it's not us. If we could, if we could follow the judgment of love that believes all things, hopes all things, gives them the benefit of letting God judge them. Do you know you can do that? You can say, you know what, I would judge them, but you know what, I think I'll let God judge them. He alone knows the hearts and minds of men. We're so frail and so weak, folk, we really, really need to let God be the judge for our own sanity. Verse 7, hear, O my people, and I will speak. You see, he's letting them know God is going to judge. He's not going to not judge. I will testify. Oh, my goodness. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine, Brother Chris? God is not only your judge, but he's in the witness box testifying against you. I mean, he doesn't have to say, I swear to tell the whole truth, but nothing but the truth. So, oh, okay. So help me, wait a minute, so help me me, right? He's the judge and he's in the witness box, man. He knows. He's a perfect witness. He's seen it all. He knows what even we think and what we feel. This is rough business. It's plain enough. God's the judge. He's the law of righteousness and he's also the prime witness. Folks, we're in serious trouble. You think you got a lawyer good enough to cross-examine God and trip him up in his testimony? If you like crime drama, that's always what they do, you know. Not with God. Now he begins what he's judging about, and I don't know how far we're going to get here. But he's judging them about their giving. Now God could do this. Now, if any of this hits you, then... Let it hit you because God is judging these people. And maybe in the judgment of these people, maybe you'll find judgment of yourself. He tells them in verse 8, I will not reprove you for thy sacrifices, 
or your burnt offerings that too have been continually before me. There's a little debate about this among scholars. It can have a number of meanings, but I think it's safe to, to say this. God is saying, what I am going to deal with you about is not the fact that you haven't actually been doing the sacrifices. You know, God prescribed this sacrifice on this day. And if you make this much money, it should be this. And there's a, it's all laid out in the law. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to deal with the fact that you're not doing that right. Forget that for just a minute. Okay? God's not judging them for that. He's judging them for something way more egregious to God than, you know, uh, bringing, uh, you know, the wrong sacrifice or pretending whatever. Okay? So he says, whether or not you made the proper sacrifice, God had something more to charge them with. In fact, the, the prophets of this time period are clear that their offerings that they were offering had become detestable to God. They were in trouble. It didn't matter what they offered, Jonathan. You can bring all you want, but there's something wrong here. And what was wrong was their heart. You see, in, in the book of Genesis, one of the very first offerings that are ever mentioned, it's Cain and Abel. Cain ends up killing Abel because of what? Because he was giving something to God, but he was doing it with a what? With a bad, with a bad heart. Do you know you can give something to God and do it in a way that God hates it? In fact, God would, God would prefer you not even give it. God doesn't need your stuff. We're going to get to that. But if you give it with the wrong idea and you give it with the wrong heart, God is going to judge you because God is not going to allow this. Jeremiah 7 and Isaiah 1, you can, he says, Your offerings, which you are offering to me, are an abomination to me. They are detestable in my nostrils. What? Why? You're the one that said to do it, God. You're the one who said to offer the bullock. You're the one that said to, to, to bring the, the goat. Or, or you're the one that said to pour out the wine. You're the one who said, what's so detestable? He goes, because you're detestable. You've come with the wrong idea in mind as if somehow, and we'll get into this, you've got, you've, you're wrong about the whole thing, okay? Starting in Isaiah 1 and mentioning it repeatedly, God let them know that sacrifices alone, not done from the love for God and done with hands stained in constant sin and idolatry, was not performing the magic that they were imagining. They were imagining, if I offer these things, we're good. We're good here, right? You go, it's not like you go down and you pay your ticket. We're good here, right? Right? You're not going to take away my license. It says here, I owe $200. Bling! Now I'm all good. Now I can go, go 80 mile an hour again. God's like, no, that might work with the state of Ohio, but it doesn't work with me. What works with me is, he's going to tell you. God was not appeased by this or like a genie in a lamp being rubbed three times could turn away them from their sins because this rituals meant nothing to God. God didn't need it. How many of you think God needs something? God doesn't need anything from you. Repeatedly, the scriptures testify that the sacrifices themselves were meant as an aid for their worship. This is what we do. We take the thing God tells us to do and we do that thing. But our heart isn't really in it. And I'm telling you, this is something I could talk about for a long time. How many people, you know, how many people feel 
I, we were talking about this with Matt last night at the, at the dinner table. I said, if, you, if, if, if the reason we had a birthday party for Matt was just like, well, you know, under the terms and conditions of uh, living at the Robin Hood household, he gets one birthday per year. And uh, how many gifts per person? I asked him, how does that feel versus, we love Matt. You know, Matt loves surprises, man. We're going to, we're going to, oh man, it's going to be cool. He's going to think he's going to go help Steve Foise over at the flip, at the, at the remodel. And when he gets there, 50 people are going to jump out and they're going to go, surprise, you know. And, and, and now, would you want that? Or do you, oh, well, you know, everybody get, well, we sing for everybody every Sunday. That's what we do. How many, how many, what, what do you want? God is saying, what I want isn't your stupid party. You know, sometimes we have a party in our, our house and for the person, and the, the person ends up working harder to make it nice for the party than anybody. Like, at that point, you don't really want the party. Like, okay, you know, if I have to clean the house for 25 days straight in a row so I can have a party for myself, it kind of feels stupid, right? You understand? Like, you know, the party might just be a day off, you know. You know, like I could just do whatever. I'm saying God is a real God. We don't give God something. He goes, man, I'm really glad I got that bull today. I had my eye on him. Man, I was hoping they would bring me that one. Repeatedly, the scriptures testified that the sacrifices themselves were for us. For them to be able to see the ugliness of their sin and death and loss that came as a result of sin. They were, they'd had to cut these, the throats of these animals and watch them die. This was for them. It was, God was like, man, I'm glad they did that. That makes me feel so much better. That this animal has suffered and died and bled out and is there. Man, you know, I was mad until then, but now I know we're even. That's the way they were thinking of God. They were thinking of God like, look, now we're even. I gave my cow. I gave my sheep. I gave my thing. God should be happy. How many of you make up from uh, arguments with your husband or wife or a friend like that? Okay, Elaine, you should be happy. I got you the stupid dress. That dress that really made you mad that you really wanted and you threw a fit over. I got it now. Here it is. All that. Things are going to be so much better. Because really, it was just about the dress, was it not? <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody. And God knows why we do what we do. That's what this psalm is about. He says in verse 9, I will take no bullock from your house, nor goats from your folds. God is saying, I don't even want your offering." How many want to be in that place with God? When you're in that place with your wife, when you're in that place with your children, like, Dad, I don't even really want your stinking apology. How many people want to be there? These people are there with God. I don't even want your sacrifice. Keep it. Keep your grain. Keep your wine. Keep your tithe. I don't want it. I didn't. It wasn't for me to begin with. It was for you. I know this is rough, right? This is what's going on in the psalm. I will take no bullock out of your house. Here it seems he's saying that he does not want their offerings and explains what should be obvious, but somehow eludes us. You know, this is what God's Word does. It tells us something that's true that we keep forgetting. So hear what God says in verse 10. Every beast of the forest is already mine. (laughs) 
right? And the cattle on a thousand hills. You, what he's saying is you can't give anything to me anyway. I mean, doesn't that kind of make you sad? You can't really give anything to God because it's already his. It's kind of sad. And you know what? What's sad is that we need to be told that. Instead of seeing everything we have, the Bible says every good and perfect gift come down from the Father of lights, right? Instead of seeing everything in our hand as a gift from God, we, we see it more like, you know, and, and I know you got, most of you aren't old enough, but I know some of you are. To remember Daffy Duck. Do you guys remember Daffy Duck? He, get, he finds this treasure in a cave and he's, mine, 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 it's all mine, it's mine, mine, mine. And he jumps and he's swimming in the gold. You, you ever see this? Mine, 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 it's all mine, right? right? That's what we do. And God is like, oh yeah. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle upon a thousand hills is mine. Everybody say, everything I have is from God. You know, Andrea's dad used to do this thing to people that were having trouble financially in their church. He would give them, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And he would say, hey, what I want you to do, though, is I want you to take 20 of this and find someone who is in need. Now, he would wait a little bit. First, he would go, Laura, I'm going to give you $200. And they're like, oh, man, that's going to make a huge difference in my life. He goes, but I really need you to give $20 of that to someone in the church who needs it. Luke, you would not, you, it, you, maybe it wouldn't surprise you, but there were some of them that just goes, you know, I really can't afford to do that. I really need this money and I really can't afford to give him that money, right? Your dad, well, he told me this. I'm thinking, you know, folks, that's us. We need from God and it comes time to, you know, to, to give our tithe to the Lord. And we're like, you know, we can't really afford that, God. God is like, it's all mine. I give it to you. I could give you $10,000 a week or 1000 or a hundred. It's up to me. I'm God and I give these things away. And you go, yeah, but Lord, you, you know, I really can't really afford to do what your word says that I am supposed to do, which is to tithe. And folks, this is not about tithing. This is more about offering. You see, offering is when we give what we don't have to give. And that's really where this psalm goes. They only gave what they had to give because they, act, they thought God needed it and, or, or something. But then when it came to giving what they wanted to give, they didn't want to give because they already felt like they were being stolen from to begin with in their tithing. That's what they thought. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are thine, the earth is thine. As for them, the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. God made it all. God doesn't need gold from you. Everything on earth belongs to God. That's what we should write on our hearts today. If we wanted to be even more direct, we would write this. Everything on earth belongs to God, even my stuff. <laughs> That's your house, your wealth, your wife, your children. You know, I'm telling you, some of us become tyrants over our children and our wives. Some, some elders become tyrants over their churches. This is my church. Now, I can tell you, when I say it's my church, I'm not saying it's my church like y'all belong to me. It's my church in that you're my responsibility and you're my people and I love you. I heard a guy, he, well, I won't get into it, post on Facebook. Yeah, I hate it when pastors say it's my church. Okay. I'm not against that. It better be your church, right? You better be calling this my church. Every one of you better be calling because it's your church. 
How many of you have guns? How many of you have more than one gun? You know, we got lots of guns, right? In the dark of night, if someone comes to steal your stuff, are you prepared to shoot them? The Bible says you can. Someone comes in the house at night and you can't see them and they're there and you don't know what they're there for. And according to the law, you can kill people. Well, you don't know. You don't know if they're there to hurt your children, right? What are you going to do? You're going to go, well, you know, I mean, I have two other daughters that can take Anna. I'll still have two of them left to make cookies for me, right? Is that, is that what we do? That's not what you do. Maybe you don't care much about your stuff, but how about your kids and your wives? Would you be willing to fire a few rounds into someone to make sure that your kids were safe? Oh, I would. As you walk around with them, do you allow others to yell at them, to push them around, to make them cower in fear? How many would let someone do that to your wife? Come on. Would you let someone treat your wife like that? I've even told my kids, I've got it, and I won't tell you which ones, but I've said, you talk to my wife like that again, I'm going to knock you out. I've said it to my own children. Now, I have never knocked any of my children out, but I think they get the idea that that's, that's, this is my wife. She's not just their mom. She's my wife. Right? I know. I'm, I'm a ruffian. I admit it. I'm probably making people nervous at this point. I love my wife. She's my wife. You know who she belongs to before she belongs to you? She belongs to God. That kind of changes the perspective on things, you know? Whose kids are they? You think God's going to tolerate that? As true as this is, what you call yours is God's. Do you think that he will tolerate you mistreating people as if they are not his sons and his daughters? His bride, the church. Know it today, your wives and children are not yours, but they are certainly God's to start with. They're yours, but not yours alone. They are God's to start with. Your wealth is the same. God is not short on money. So he calls out to you to help him out. He created gold, silver, diamonds, oil, platinum. And we are fools when we keep for ourselves what is due to God in the form of our tithes as if he doesn't know and as if he isn't the one who decides how much we're going to get next week. I've done this with my little kids. Like, I'm, I don't know if you do that, but I, like, want to bless my kids. I'm, like, I'm looking for reasons. And they think I'm joking. Like, I'll call for them, and they don't come. And I'm like, well, I was going to give the first one who came 100 bucks. Anybody ever done this? <laughs> It doesn't work, just so you know. Because uh, my kids go, we know you don't have 100 books, Dad. I'm like, oh, okay. Kind of doesn't work out too good for me. But, but, but the deal is, is I, I look for ways, you know, Sister Joy, I, I, I look for excuses. Like, I will, I will literally go, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask them to do it. And if they do it, I'm going to, like, do something great for them. And then they don't do it. And, and, and they think I'm kidding. But I'm telling you, I love my children. I want to bless them. Do you know God is like this with us? He's like, you know what? I, I will bless my people. If they could just trust me, 
if they would obey me, if they really believed that it was all mine and they weren't really worried about it, and if they didn't hold on so tightly to stuff, I got more stuff to give them. Being able to earn money and then turn and give it in the offering plate or is just importantly as giving it to those in need is how we show God our trust in God. In my book, I, I wrote about the woman who didn't get paid anything ever in her whole life. She never earned a dollar. And the first time she said, if I ever earned a dollar, the first thing I'd do was give some in the offering because I never had any to give before. Folks, that crushed me personally. I was just like, wow. Being able to earn money and give it to God or to those in need is a way that we show God we believe it comes from Him. Why? Because we give it away. People in the world think you're the stupidest people in the world. They give money to the church. Ah! I mean, do you know how much more they're able to save? You wonder why people in the world have money. Because they don't give it to God. They got the money. They got a nicer car, whatever. God sees us and cares for us. Now, the, the question is, is, do you believe that? And most of us, sadly enough, just don't. Are we teaching our children this by how we live? Do we come with joy, offering our gifts to the Lord as we worship? Do we make sure there's something in every child's hand to put in the offering plate? And, you know, bring a nickel, whatever, if you're worried that I'm, you know, in a fundraising mode. I'm not. God's blessed our church. But I really think that our church has lacked some blessings in the people in it because I haven't talked about this. Because I'm a sinner. And, and, and I, I know how people think. Because I think like them too. So I didn't want to talk about money. You know what? We got some money. I'm going to be talking about it from time to time. All right? So whether you give or not, it doesn't really matter so much to me personally. But I'm just telling you right now, you understand the joy of giving and you lay out your gifts before the Lord and you actually believe he's watching and that he cares and that when you give it, it's love for him and faith that shows, hey, well, you know what? I'm going to give it away because God will give me more. You live like that and your life will be different. I'm telling you right now. Verse 11, I know the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field, they're even mine. God sees not only the falling sparrow, but the floating spider, the hunting lynx, the bouncing deer. They belong to him. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine. Are you getting this? Can you give anything to God that he hasn't given you? No. Your child, you know, your little kid that you're wanting to give the money to, you know, they're like holding on to this money, you know. Hey, honey, I really need this dollar. I got to put air in the tire and I don't have any cash on me. That's my dollar. That's us. When we come to understand this, something very exciting begins to happen in our lives. And I'm going to close with this. I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I'm going to close with this. You know, they had the chance to build the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 36. Exodus 36, 3, they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought. And this is what was neat. You know, giving their offering for the building of the temple was not mandatory. It was offering. Offering means something you willingly give to God that you don't have to do. There were those. There were sacrifices. There were tithes. There were obligations. There were literally taxes that God imposed on his people that were not 
optional. But what God is dealing with here is the free will offering to God that you don't owe him, that you do out of love in your heart. This is what cranks God up in a, in a great way for you. They received to Moses the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. They were free. Everybody say free. Free. All the wise men that wrought the work of the sanctuary came every man for work which they made. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work. And Moses gave a commandment and said, could you please stop giving? We have too much. Wouldn't that be something? You know, we got a little too much money around here. Uh, could you keep it? Could you use it for something productive at your house? We don't really need it. Wouldn't that be a great day to come to church and, and hear that at our congregational meeting? Andy, uh, the report is we have too much money. We're either going to have to like buy something or, or I don't know what we're going to do. We just have so much money. We don't know what to do with it. That'd be a great day. Moses gave the commandment, caused to proclaim throughout the camp, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. And the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work. And there was just too much. I, I'm looking forward to that day. This would be a good place to stop. You know, we have never had a building fund here at our church. But there was a nice couple. I won't embarrass them. I can embarrass them later if I get their permission. But they came and they said, you know what? We want to give some money to build a building. You know, we're kind of full and we need a, we need a, we need a new building. So I guess we have one now, just in case you want to know about it. We haven't officially, like, made a decree or hit a gavel or signed a paper, but someone gave some money and said it's for the building fund. When God's people built the tabernacle, even more wonderful things happened. And we will, I'll, I will, this is actually where I'm going to end. First Chronicles 29, see, they built the tabernacle, which was a tent. But then they built the temple, which was permanent, okay? David the king, this is in First Chronicles 29, 1, and I'll just read a bunch here and I'll stop. David the king said to the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the place is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, for the gold, the things of gold. And he goes, and he lists gold and silver, he lists it all, okay? Moreover, verse 3, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, my own gold and silver and all this stuff. And he lists how much? Thousands and thousands. You know, there is some giving we should do that's absolutely 100% private. And there's others that is public and it's fun. You can read about it. It's in the Bible. There's times to be private and other times we sort of rejoice together. David is going, let me tell you how much I gave. It's kind of... Uh, exciting. I've been, I've been involved in a, I've been in a room full of people where someone started giving and they've raised a million dollars in a room. I've, I've been there. I've watched it. I'll give this, I'll give this. And then well, it's, it gets exciting. I'm not saying we're doing that, but I'm just saying not, not that we, we could do that, but you know, but let me keep reading. So he starts naming all the stuff and how much money and all that came together. Okay. And if you're, if you're not been in this church long, I don't think you can, I don't think anybody here 
could reference the last time I spoke about giving in this church, like in a sermon. So if you're feeling like I'm working you, I'm, I'm really not. This is definitely what the text is talking about. But here's what he said. So they, they gave him precious stones, gold, silver, everything like that. Verse 9, then the people rejoiced that they had offered willingly because the perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king rejoiced with great joy. And David began to pray. And I just want to read his prayer because it's just so great. I believe this is one of the reasons David is a man after God's own heart because of what he says here. So David blessed the Lord before the congregation. And David said this, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is yours, O God. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. You know, we don't think about that when it says thine is the kingdom. It's his, right? Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from thee. And thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and in the hand it is to make great, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength. Now therefore, O God, we thank thee and we praise thee, thy glorious name. Talk about a a prayer for offering. Here's a prayer. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly? For all things come of thee, O God, and of thine own hand have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, sojourners, as were our fathers, and our days on the earth is a shadow, and there is none that is abide. We're all going to pass out of this world. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build a house for your holy name came from you, and it's already yours. O God, my God that tries to harden as pleasure in uprightness, As for me, in uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all of these things. And now I have seen with joy the people that are present here to offer willingly. He was rejoicing that God had not only given them stuff, but he gave them the willing heart to give it. That's when you really understand God, when you realize the only reason you had the joy to give it was because God gave that to you too. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers kept forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart to prepare this. And Lord, you've given Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep your commandments and testimonies and statutes. Isn't that a great prayer? I'll close with that. Isn't that great? What if we gave like that? What if, we, what if, what if instead of being judged as Israel that somehow giving was some sort of ransom or payoff to God or some obligation or club dues, if it was love from our heart. Imagine if our devotions to Him were not so people would think anything about us, that we didn't really care what they thought, but that with reckless abandon, we offered what we had to the Lord, and we were like, look what I have to give, oh God. Oh, may God give us joy like that in giving to Him. And to his people. Let us pray. Lord, you have spoken to your people from your word as you spoke in this psalm to Israel. We've been reminded today that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. What house could we build you? You don't dwell in houses. But yet, what have you done? You let them build a house for you. Even though you don't live in a house, you let them build one. 
Oh God, give us the joy and give us things to give. And give us, most of all, give us hearts that are filled with love for you and for our neighbors, for our brothers and our sisters. Give us tenderness and forgiveness. Lord, may we not judge others based on what we believe they think and feel and why they do what they do, but may we look at them and see their brokenness as we see our own. Lord, your patience toward us, may we exercise that toward others in our kindness and our forgiveness. May we open up our hearts knowing that we cannot be forgiven ourselves if we cannot forgive others. May we not hold that back and give freely our forgiveness today. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.